you have a Bible, uh, if you would take it and open to Mark chapter 10. Uh, this week, we're going to be still in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Um, I've got to tell you that last week, as I came to the pulpit, I came up here to the platform, and I stood here, and I started out by saying this text has so much in it, I probably won't get through it all. I'm going to get as far as I can, and then I'm going I'm to stop there, and I'll come back, and I'll finish the text uh, the, the following week. Well, that's hard for a preacher to do. Um, it's really hard. Anybody that's ever taught or, or, or preached a sermon knows that it's hard to, it's hard to draw back and, and end in the middle of a text. And um, this sermon, this text that I thought would take us two weeks is actually going to take us three sermons uh, because it is so rich and so full. Um, last week, I, I need to sort of apologize to you. you. You would probably, you know, graciously tell me you don't need to apologize but, uh, but I reached a point where I knew that I needed to just end it there. And I tried to push on through. And I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't do any favors to you or to the text. And so this week I'm coming back and I'm going to I'm gonna further develop this point. Because I think it's so important. Because I love you as your pastor and I want you to receive what God has for you, all of what God has for you, and not just simply skip over matters as if they don't matter. Okay? All of the Word of God is important for us. And it's important that we linger long wherever God would lead us. This text has really, really been in in my face uh, as I've studied and meditated over this text for, for now uh, two weeks. Uh, for particular reasons. This particular text has to do with us chasing glory. And, uh, and I, was, I was reminded as we were singing, and as Ethan, even in that, that last um, re-singing of, of that verse and chorus again, I was reminded that's the reason we sing the songs we do. Because so often it is so easy for us, even those of us who have been redeemed even those of us who have brought near and in a right relationship through Christ alone, it is so easy for us so often to forget whose glory we are to chase. And we so often wind up where these disciples found themselves, chasing our own glory. And what we need is to be reminded that the only glory that we should chase is the glory of God, the glory for God through the gospel. That's why we remind you of the gospel every single time we're together. Uh, I heard this morning, you know, there's not a whole lot of good preaching on TV. And I don't mean like, like there's just, you know, just, their delivery's not good. I mean, their substance is not good most of the time. And I heard a pastor this morning. I was getting ready and I had the TV on. And, uh, and this pastor uh, was referring to the verses of Scripture where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added, he'd have been fine there, but he added this, this little phrase. He said, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's not the gospel in a nutshell. That's the law in a nutshell. The law was never meant to save us. The law was meant to show us our need of a Savior. The gospel in a nutshell is that we can't 
love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't, we haven't, we won't love our neighbor as ourselves. Therefore, we are guilty before God Almighty, holy and just, and He will execute justice. And He has executed judgment and wrath on His own Son, who lived a perfectly righteous life, loving God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving His neighbor as Himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might be counted as the righteousness of God. His right living is applied to us. That's the gospel in a nutshell. We can't. He has. And the offer is free to us. Amen? Well, I want us to look at this text together. I want to read it together, and then we'll go back. And I want to, uh, to review and then also dive a little deeper into this text. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 35 all the way down through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now tonight we're going to deal, or tonight we will deal with, God willing, the rest of the, the passage. Tonight we're going to deal with greatness in the eyes of the world versus greatness in the eyes of God. We're going to deal with that tonight. I'm going to finish this text tonight and i would encourage you many of you don't come back on sunday night i would encourage you to come on sunday nights um and you know we go a little deeper we get a get a little more in depth it's a little more conversational we can we can interact a little bit more and i would encourage you to come on sunday nights not because i want to preach to a full room because i but i think you'll benefit from the study of the word of god together uh, particularly those of you who may uh, be out on wednesday nights or whatever doing other things you might benefit from coming and and uh, being here on Sunday night. Today, though, I want to deal with this middle section. This middle section where Jesus begins to talk about the cup that he is to drink and the baptism with which he is to be baptized. We are so guilty sometimes of wanting to chase our own glory. For instance, like, like Bradley in the, uh, in the video, those gloves. I know what you were thinking, you know. You know, these will get me all the girls. You know, if I put these flowery gloves on and 
pose for the camera, you know, that's it. You know, I, I, I'm going to get the glory. Uh, you know, I, I know that that was in your mind the whole time, you know. We do things like that all the time, don't we? We want the glory for ourselves. But we looked at last week the fact that we don't know what we're asking. We are depraved and we are deluded. We think we know what's best. We think we can handle everything that we want. And the reality is we are depraved and we are deluded in our thinking. We are fallen, sinful creatures. The reality is we need to leave that up to God. Jesus here begins to talk about this this cup that could they drink the cup? That he was to drink. Could they be baptized with the baptism that he was to be baptized with? I got to thinking about this this week and last week as well. We we want to choose our own cup, don't we? We want to choose our own baptism. Um, My daughter is taking some medicine right now. Uh, She's she's on an antibiotic, and it's it's this liquid stuff, and it doesn't taste real good, does it? No. And uh, she's in the kitchen. Do you mind if I tell this? (laughs) Too too late now, right? Yeah. She'll tell me later on if she did, you know. But she's in the kitchen, and and to take this medicine, I mean, she's got crackers and everything else ready to ready to follow this thing, to chase this stuff, so that so she can actually get it down because it tastes horrible. Uh, Now now. You know, it's probably flavored up and everything else. But uh, and, and some of you remember the days where there was no flavoring added to medicine. You know, it was, you know, castor oil or whatever. You know, my grandmother, you'd fall on skinny knee and she'd bring out that paint stuff. And you just paint all over, you know. Uh, but my, my daughter's in there. And I'm sure if she had her druthers, she would choose a better tasting medicine. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, our dog was sick and we had to administer medicine to our dog. To Moses. And Moses is a is a seventy five pound black flat coat retriever um, who's not very intelligent. But uh, and we had this humongous syringe, and we were to draw out this liquid medicine, and we were to open his mouth and and squirt this stuff into his mouth. Well, Moses didn't like it either. You know, I offered him a cracker, but you know he didn't go for it. But. I'm sitting there, and we had some people that were gracious and helped us do that. They, they did that while we were on vacation, and then we had to do it three weeks later. But I'm sitting there, and, and I'm holding his jaws open. And I'm, you know, and I'm, just for a minute, I'm thinking, I'm going to be like one of those alligator guys and stick my head in between and, you know, all that. I'm holding his mouth open, and, and, uh, and I'm saying, okay, Lana, when I get it just right, you're going to stick that syringe in there, and I mean, don't wait. Just, you know, give it to him. Well, we do that. It was pitiful. You've never seen such a contrast as that white milky medicine running down that black fur because none of it went down his throat. And then you're thinking, you know, what do we do now? And this dumb dog who won't let you do that to him turns around and starts licking it up off the floor. And I thought I should have just poured it out to begin with. But sometimes we are just like that, aren't we? With the cup that we are to drink and our lot in life, we want, we want to be able to choose it. And we say, oh, 
No, that's too costly. That's too painful. That's too bitter. I would choose that that is flavored the way I would like for it to be flavored. We do this all the time. We come to Scripture even. We come to Scripture and we, we twist Scripture to say what we want it to say. We rip things out of context. For, for example, Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. We love the second part. He will give you the desires of your heart. And this is a lot of times the substance of those TV preachers. God will give you whatever you want. That, that He wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And if you'll just, you know, hey, God, come to God, God will give you whatever you want. But the reality is, the first part of that text also goes with it. We don't have the luxury of taking the second part without the first. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That, that whole chapter in Psalm is written in the context of looking around. Christians, I mean, those, those, uh, those Jewish people looking around and seeing those who were, who were less than godly, who were wicked, prospering. Watching them prosper and watching them do well and watching them drink of these cups that, that were nice. They tasted great. And then watching these who were, who were striving to follow the Lord and look to Him and lean on Him found themselves oftentimes in the midst of suffering and loss. And the psalmist here says, regardless of what you see around you and regardless of what comes your way, delight yourself in the Lord in the midst of that. And when you delight yourself in the Lord in the midst of that, you will find that your delight will become the right things that you desire. We take scriptures and we twist them, we rip them out of their context. We take scriptures like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It sounds great at graduations. But the reality is, it was not written to any of us. It was written to those who were exiled in Babylon. Those who had been carried out, and God was promising that one day He would bring them back. But it has nothing to do, really, with you and I here today. Now, there is something to be gleaned from that. We can look at the character of God in that. But we cannot come to Scripture and take this and take that and say, God, give me the cup that I want to drink. This is not Starbucks. If I were to go to Starbucks with you, I'd probably be a little embarrassed. I pictured myself going to Starbucks with Big Steve Johnson. Because I know Big Steve Johnson is, you know, he'd go into Starbucks and he'd say, I'll take a black coffee. Right? Would he do that, Sandra? No? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I could go to Starbucks with him. But I just pictured him going and saying, I'll take a black coffee. Venti, what's venti? You know, I'm just you know standing there, and then I'm going to stroll to the ca- to the counter, and I'm going to say, I'll have a, a triple venti caramel macchiato. And I just pictured Steve Johnson looking over at me, going, "Seriously? You need to man up, boy." And so many times, though, that's how we are when it comes to following Christ. We come to Christ as if we're strolling up to the counter at Starbucks and we can order it at the right temperature with the right flavoring, with the right froth, 
with the right milk, with the right cream, or no whipped cream. The reality is, Jesus here is pointing in this text, in this, before it was in text, in this event in the lives of these disciples, he is pointing them to, it is not for you to decide the cup that you will drink. That has been decided for me and for you and for all those after you. It was a specific cup that Jesus was to drink. His cup. He said, can you drink my cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism? Jesus models for us in this very thing, submission. Submission is a dirty word. We don't like the word submit. Used to be that in wedding ceremonies, you know, the the vow of the bride would include something like uh, love, submit, obey. And I got to tell you, when I do premarital counseling, getting ready for a wedding, I've had more than one bride tell me, uh, no, we're, we're not, we're not going to put that in there. Because submit has become this dirty word. But Jesus here, in his life on the planet, models for us, us submission. Now, was this a sign of weakness? Is Jesus here when he alludes to this cup that has been given to him by the Father, is he saying somehow that he is inferior to the Father, that the Father is superior over and above him, and he must then submit and do whatever the Father has for him? Well, absolutely not. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are co-equal. Jesus here willingly submits to the will of the Father. We see this all throughout his life. He was born. You ever thought about that? The one who is the answer to that question, where do babies come from, was born. Now I realize we can get more technical than that, but he really is the answer. He is the word who has created all things. He is the one who sustains all things. The very fact that he was born we see him submitting to the will of the Father. The one who had committed no sin no sin submitted to John's baptism of repentance. Think about what what an act of submission to the will of the Father that was. The one who knew no sin who who had always existed now stepped up in front of all of these people and asked John to baptize him. And you remember John's response? John's response is, it's me that needs to be baptized by you. And Jesus goes on and says, this must happen in order to fulfill all righteousness. We see here Jesus Christ, Son of God, submitting willfully to the Father, to this cup that the Father has for him. When he was 12, and Mary and Joseph lost him and found him in the temple. His response was, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? He was submitted to the will of the father. And then it, the text goes on there and, and specifically tells that he went with Mary and Joseph because he was submissive to them. 
That his going to the temple was an act of submission to the Father, and then his leaving with his earthly parents was an act of submission to them, which was an act of submission to God himself. When we submit to those who God has placed over us in authority all around us, we are, in reality, submitting to God himself. He was led into the wilderness, specifically led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus could have banished him right there. Jesus subjects himself to temptation. Forty days of fasting. In a weakened condition. Why? Because he knew he was there to drink the cup from the Father. He obeyed the law perfectly, even doing things like paying the temple tax. In John 18, 11, when they came to arrest him in the garden, and Peter pulls his sword and swings and cuts the ear off of Malchus, Jesus says to him, put away your sword. Put, your, put away your sword. Don't you know that I must drink this cup? I must drink drink the cup that the Father has given me. Even before that, when he had prayed, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even though he prayed that prayer, he had settled in his mind that he was on the planet to drink the cup that was given to him by the Father. His cup consisted of, it was filled with, exactly what he had just told them about in verses 33 and 34. That he would go to Jerusalem, be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes. They would condemn him to death. They would deliver him over to the Gentiles. And then from there, they would mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And that was the cup. He would be raised from the dead three days later. But that was the cup that he was to drink, and he knew it. And Jesus, who is perfectly the Son of God, God himself, God of very God, and also fully human, in the midst of thinking about and going towards that cup, found himself in such a desperate situation that he prayed even sweating like drops of blood. Verse 45 in our text this morning says that even the Son of Man did not come to serve, or to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the cup that he knew he was to drink. This is what led him on to Jerusalem. This is why we don't see anyone driving him to Jerusalem. He is leading the disciples. The disciples are saying things like, You can't go, Jesus. Don't you know that if you go there, that's the center of opposition for you. You can't do it, Jesus. And Jesus resolutely goes to Jerusalem. And then they answer. Jesus asked the question, Can you drink this cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism? And their 
depraved and deluded answer is we can. We can do this. And Jesus then gives his response then in the second part of verse 39 when he says, the cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. He then goes from talking about his cup given to him by the Father that he willingly submitted himself to. Now he begins to talk about their cup. The one that has been poured with their name on it. Still, they wanted to custom order their triple venti skinny caramel macchiato. But their cup of glory without any suffering or hardship or inconvenience was not what was to come. James and John would drink the cup and be baptized. They would drink this cup. That's what Jesus said. You will drink this cup and you will be baptized. Jesus is not saying here that they would pay for the sins of all those who would believe in the same way that he would. What he's saying is, you have your own cup and you will drink and you will be baptized. Only Jesus would be that perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God that would be the final sacrifice that the curtain in the temple would be torn Opening the way to the Holy of Holies in right relationship with God Himself. Just because Jesus would only be that doesn't mean that they would not have their own cup to drink. James, I said this last week, maybe you missed it. James was the first apostle to be martyred. We read about it in Acts chapter 12. He was beheaded at the reign of Herod Agrippa, under the reign of either Nero or Domitian, John was exiled. Some traditions say that he was exiled to the island of Patmos after he had survived being plunged into boiling oil or boiling water. He died as an old man. Nevertheless, he had his cup to drink. He had his baptism to, to go through. The rest of the apostles, you remember their, their reaction when they heard the question that they had asked Jesus, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and your left? They began to be indignant. They hadn't escaped their cup either. Maybe you've heard this and maybe you've studied or read about, about this, but the apostles had their own cups as well. Peter would be crucified. At his own request, he would be crucified head down. Andrew was also crucified. He was crucified, though, in a spread eagle position. It's where the St. Andrew's Cross of Scotland comes from. That blue and white X across that cross is, uh, across that flag is symbolically representative of St. Andrew, who was crucified in that spread eagle, spread eagle position. Philip was, mar- he was martyred in modern-day central Turkey. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then beheaded. Thomas, doubting Thomas, was speared to death. Matthew was martyred in either Ethiopia or Persia. James the Less was martyred in Egypt. 
Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot were killed in Persia. They were either crucified or possibly even hacked to death. And Paul was beheaded in Rome. And all of this simply for going and for doing what Jesus had taught them. Jesus had shown them through his actions that there is a cup that I must drink and nothing will stop me from turning the cup upside down and drinking down to the dregs. And they had picked up and learned from them, from him. And then they were filled with the Spirit of God and were able to go bravely all the way to their death drinking the cup that God had for them. Now, I know that I'm not exactly painting a uh, very appetizing or a very compelling picture of what it is to follow Christ. When I, begin to, when, I, when I talk about Jesus died, all of his disciples died, even those who followed after those disciples, they all died. Probably there's no one in the room that's saying, well, sign me up. But I want you to see just how far we have come from true biblical discipleship. We have relegated discipleship to ordering our own flavor. Give me my own cup. Give me one that is not costly or bitter or too warm. I want a warm, happy life. And we've gotten so far away from accepting, embracing, drinking the cup that God has for us. What about your cup? What's in it? Did you stop and think about that? What's in your cup? Will you push it away because it's not to your liking? Will you push it away because it's too bitter or too costly? I could not possibly do that. If that's following Christ, I love the Lord, but I just can't do that. Would you push away that cup? Or will you embrace it as the will of God for your life and drink deeply for your own good and for His glory? The reality is that medicine that my daughter doesn't like the taste of is good for her. She needs that medicine to clear up the infection in her ear. And I could say as a parent, oh baby, that's okay, you don't have to take that nasty stuff. But would I be helping my daughter? Would I be loving my daughter? We should drink deeply of the cup that God has prepared for us, no matter the content. We should not leave it on the table. We should not merely sip around the edges. I remember the first time that I ever drank a cup of coffee, and, and some of you said, there was a first time? I mean, you drink so much, I thought it was like, you know, from all eternity, you've just been drinking coffee, you know? But I remember the first time, it was in seminary, and for the first time in my life, I was having to stay up crazy hours, study, take tests, write papers, trying to take care of my family, working three different jobs, doing all this stuff, and I had to do something. And I remember I had a study group, and we met at this coffee shop off, off the back of the campus, and, and, uh, and, and they were all getting coffee, and I never had a cup of coffee, so I went to the counter, and 
I didn't know that, you know, to, to order a, a, you know, macchiato or anything like that. I said, uh, just give me a, a coffee, please. And I took that thing to my lips. And that whole study session, I remember sitting there and just every now and then just sipping that stuff. I remember thinking, I don't remember what we discussed, what we studied, but I remember sitting around looking at these guys thinking, how do you do this? How do you drink this this nasty stuff? I mean, you know, those of you who know me think there was never a time when you didn't like coffee. But there was. There was this time when I did not like coffee. And I sipped on that thing. I sipped around the edges. And I, I didn't finish it. But for some reason, I went back and bought another one. And some of you, right now, there's something in your life coming down the way that is, that is going to be hard and bitter and hot. And it is not going to be pleasant to go through. And you are right now just sipping around the edges thinking, I don't think I can do this. I would encourage you, keep sipping. Keep sipping. By faith, by the grace of God, asking God, God, I don't like what I'm going through, but God, would you, would you give me the desire, the taste to drink? And by faith, would you put one foot in front of the other and embrace it and allow God to use it in your life for your good and for His glory. There is a cup. There is a cup with your name on it. And it is from a God who knows best, who loves you more than you could ever love yourself, who is redeeming a people to Himself who is one day coming again. And He is asking you today, can you drink this cup? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to the second week in looking at this text. And God, I pray that as we've dove even deeper into this. God, I pray that you would take it. God, that you would apply it to my life as well as the lives of those who are sitting here. God, that you would show us what we need from this text. That you would show us more of yourself and more of who we are. And God, that that would cause us to fall on your mercy and your grace to depend on you all the more. God, I pray that you would use this text. You would use the cups in our own lives for our good and for your glory and that we would trust you throughout every sip. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.